We invite you now to join our conversation, an instrument of healing, as we share how each of us can grow through times of illness, grief, and loss. Our wish is through these words you will discover a healing community that promotes insight, reignites hope, and nurtures peace. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Kelly. This is Jeffrey Cloninger, your producer, and I'm joined by Kelly Grosslogs. Welcome. What a surprise that I came here. Well, what is a surprise is that we're in a different recording studio today. And for those of you that can't see it, I do want to just... Which is everybody listening. <laughs> ah, that's so true. Well, we do have our studio dog here that's that's watching us. However, I do want everybody to know that Jeffrey is in his glory because we have two different studios. We have one in Minneapolis and one in Chicago that we tape out of, and we happen to be in the Minneapolis location. Right, Studio of the North. Studio of the North, and he is so excited because he has all these little gadgets here that we don't quite have at Studio B in Chicago. But you know what? There's all sorts of people who've made this happen in the background, so we want to thank them for all their help and get into today's topic, which is being present. But not just being present in general, being present to others' illness yes. in particular. I think this is a really good topic for us to discuss because I have been asked over the years, what can I do for my friend who's sick? And I think one of the things, and so... My knowledge comes from working with people who are ill. It is something that I share often because I've learned from the best. You know, I think any anybody that's listening has had some type of illness, right? Whether it is a short-term flu or they've had a surgery, anything that makes us dependent or vulnerable on someone else. But what we're going to talk about today is somebody that's living with more of a chronic illness or even a terminal illness and how we can be helpful in, in those times. I get asked often, like I said earlier, about what can we do for people who are ill. And I want to say the first thing that, and the most important is be consistent and be reliable. So don't offer anything you can't do. Don't offer to give rides to people's appointments if you can't do that. Don't offer to bring food when you can't. So it's being, it's being reliable and it's being consistent. One of the greatest things that we can offer somebody, even if we don't have a lot of money or if we don't have the means to get them things or buy them things, is our presence. Our presence with them. People who are ill feel quite isolated and quite vulnerable and also can feel very lonely. Even in a room with a lot of people. They I remember feel... that when I became diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And how old were you again? I was 15, and I, it was, I was in pediatrics, of course, and, uh, but I was an old ped, and mm -hmm. it was over Thanksgiving. And so uh, I was surrounded by the medical staff, but other than the medical staff, there was nobody there, save my parents for a couple of visits. And because it was over Thanksgiving, they had other commitments, and I was in the hospital, and some friends came. Uh, but then again, they left, and it was, it was very lonely. Even though people had the best intentions while they were there, they couldn't spend a lot of time. What else did you feel besides loneliness? Um, I, there was a sense of helplessness mm -hmm. as well because I didn't know what was coming next. This was a new diagnosis for me. I didn't know when the next round of antibiotics were going to come in because I had some other stuff going on at the time. I didn't know when the nurse was going to come back and whatnot. One of the things you are talking about right now, which I, I, want, you to, I want you to explain a little more 
So you get a diagnosis. It's new, it's scary, and for you, you knew it was going to be long-term, right? This yeah, when you're told that you have type 1 diabetes, of course, it's a chronic disease. And as a 15-year-old, I wasn't so scared about the disease. I was more scared about what was happening over the next several hours and or days being in the hospital because I didn't know what was going to happen next. What was the most helpful thing somebody said or did for you? Do you remember? I remember one of the nurses telling me when I first got there, and because, again, it was a holiday, that she would be there throughout the holiday. So she set an expectation of her presence. Mm -hmm. Even though I didn't see her all the time, she had other patients and kids to attend to, yep. I knew that she would be there for the next, I think she told me, three, four days. And that was super helpful. So I hear that a lot, familiarity mm -hmm. with people. And I think that's what's hard about some of our medical systems now is we have changes in shift. We have float staff who are very good, but people need consistency. We have a system now where we don't necessarily see our, our physician. We see hospitalists or we see people that come in. The good news is they often are on for a week and they can see us through. But you raise a really good point about, and I've heard this from many people, I need something consistent. I need something that I can count on because everything else right now is so unknown. So for those listening, you could possibly be the consistent person. To show up. To and... show up, absolutely. And I love that that nurse gave you some comfort going forward because she clearly was tuned into the fact of you must be thinking forward. And when we think forward, we get anxious. And so if you're listening today and you are trying to figure out what do you do for your neighbor? What do you do for your partner? What do you do for your cousin or whomever's sick? Show up and be present. And what does it mean to be present? It does not mean to be present one time and you're done. It means to be a consistent person. Can you be the Tuesday person? Can you be the one that comes over every Tuesday? Can you be the text in the morning? Can you be the one that texts them in the morning? How are you doing? Can you get their groceries for them on Saturday? Now, did anybody ever say to you, or do you remember, call me if you need anything? Oh, yeah. My friends showed up and said that, but then they had to go do stuff. Okay. And uh, they said, call me if you need anything. This, of course, was right before cell phones were there, mm -hmm. so I was tied to the hospital bed. And I didn't call them. I didn't I didn't know right. what they were up to. And right. they had plans for Thanksgiving. They weren't there. Even more isolating. On a on a holiday mm -hmm. where everybody is with family. And you're eating hospital turkey and peas. You know the peas, they're not green. Just bad on they're a good like day. that's right. They're they're kind of that <laughs> that pale green Which color. Is, yeah. Um so anyway, we're making this sound like it was gloom and doom. It really wasn't, but it could have been better. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to talk about today, is how can you make it better? How can you make a situation that is not something somebody chose? Mm -hmm. um, how, can you, how can you show up for people? Really, it's, it's the, the phrase, call me if you need anything, is something I discourage. I discourage it for people with illness. I discourage it for people who are um, visiting somebody who's in grief. Or and yet we it. all say it all the time. And we're all very well intended. It's like saying, how are you? I'm fine. Right. It's almost a, a exactly. knee-jerk response. But call me if you need it. So you go back to that time you were diagnosed. You don't have the energy. You're, you're sick. You're exhausted. You're scared. You probably haven't slept. So to say to somebody, call me if you need anything, is it basically is unrealistic because people don't have the energy to do that. And let's be honest, at that moment, I needed everything. 
right? So it's sort of negating what's right in front of you. It's, it's really not being present to what's going on. Right. I needed everything, but I have no idea what I need. Mm-hmm. There's another interesting thing in illness uh, that I've heard many people talk about. So, and another thing is, what can I do for you? That's a beautiful statement. Oftentimes, the person who's ill feels like a burden, um, and they don't want to say anything because they already feel like they're burdening you because you've gotten them their groceries, groceries, you've gotten them their rides, whatever it may be. So I think the important thing is to also, what can, so we're talking about what can you do to help. This is not criticism on people that have said, call me if you need anything, or what can I do for you? We all do that. But I think what I, what I would like to get out there is more specific things based on what I've been told is helpful and based on what you also have experienced. And there's the opportunity to follow through, right? So it's, so important. I think those two questions... Call me if you need anything, a statement, and what can I do for you, a question, followed by maybe some ideas, and the next step That's right. would be way more helpful. Thank you. So here are a couple ideas. I am going to be, you can say to the person, I am going to be making soup and salad on Monday. So you're the caregiver right now? So I'm the caregiver or I'm the friend that stops over. I will be dropping off some soup and salad. Now, for those that are ill, another really good idea is have a cooler outside on your step and people can just leave it there. But you can you can be very specific. I'm going to drop it off. Do you want it on Monday or Wednesday? So giving people option because, again, people don't have a lot of options in illness. And then you always want to get, if they have food allergies or whatever that may be, you want to be very specific. I'm going to the grocery store on Monday. Can I get you your normal eggs, bread, whatever it may be? Okay, so very specific things. But giving people choice, make it sound like you're already doing it. So you're not going out of your way because people, again, they don't want to be a burden. People who, and you probably felt this too, people who are ill feel very much like you know, they are tapping, or they, they don't want to ask the person to do something because they might need it more later. I hear a lot of people say that, I don't want to use up my rides right now because I may need it later. Mm. And I think, you Caregiving know, capital. Yeah. You don't want to spend it. Very interesting. So, you know, just be very specific. Okay, now we've talked about things you can do. Or, hey, going to mow the lawn. I'm going to come over and mow your lawn, or I'm going to come over and rake your leaves, or... How about if I just come over and I want to come over every Tuesday morning and I want to bring coffee and I just want to sit with you and we don't have to talk about your illness or we, or we can. Yeah. But you show up and it takes the, it, it makes it so much easier for the patient or for your friend to not have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's one less thing I needed to worry about then in the hospital if if someone said to me, hey, I'm going to come over on Friday after Thanksgiving and we're going to shop for all the things that you want for Christmas, but we're going to shop the catalogs at the time. I'm that old. (laughs) Before online, right? You know? And it's just say, this is what we're going to do. Now, have you ever been let down or disappointed by somebody that said they were going to do something and they didn't? Well, yeah. All the time. I mean, that's humanity, right? Oh, I meant in your illness specifically. (laughs) Did you... 
did you, I should have been more specific, did you ever have a time that sticks out to you where someone was going to do something, you were excited about it, you were hoping for it, and it didn't happen? Hmm. I actually don't have a good example to share. And but... that's okay. So I hear that a lot. Again, I, this doesn't have to be a perfect road, but I think if if you say you're going to do something and then you can't do it, just give the person a call and give them another option. You know, so often we hear... I'll hear the well-intended friends or caregivers say they're feeling burned out because they really shouldn't have offered to do something that night, but they knew they knew that they were counting on it. So then it's this whole cycle. For instance, if you are set up on a meal train and you're supposed to take a meal over on a Tuesday, but you have a late meeting at work or somebody in your family gets sick, you may have to cancel. Okay, and that's okay. Again, we're talking about consistency and we're talking about showing up. So one of the things when you cancel, that's the right thing to do, is to reschedule. And so say, I'm so sorry, I can't come tonight. You know what, we don't want to make it a habit, but it just, it happens. So I'm trying to give all these scenarios that I've heard over the years. So somebody's had to cancel bringing the dinner, offer to bring it on Thursday instead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have to be realistic here too. And sometimes I see caregiver burnout or support system burnout because people aren't allowing for human experiences to happen like the boss needs them to stay late so they can't deliver the meal or they feel sick so they can't come over and do the grocery shopping but again the, the thing is and I think anybody that has ever experienced illness whether it is chronic whether it's terminal or it's temporary we all know that it is very isolating and it's you can feel very vulnerable and so I think what we're trying to do is alleviate that for people it's not that we're trying to make it go away for them because we can't and that's where I think people can burn out because they got to do it this way and it's got to be perfect and it's got to be and we have all this expectation and these memories of how it's been done in the past and what we've witnessed in the past correct right and we place those onto us when it's suddenly our turn to be a caregiver who's present correct now you are going to have situations also where you may ask somebody and they're gonna reject it okay so the person that is ill now that can go back to they were told they weren't worthy enough to receive help whatever it may be but if somebody consistently says no um, and doesn't want you to do things, I think you can keep trying, but then send a card. Because what we're trying to do is get a connection for this person so that they're feeling connected. So, And then maybe the cards, they start to trust. And a lot of my patients have said no to people because they have been let down. And if they say no, there's not an opportunity to be disappointed. So you may hear no a lot when you ask. Now that can be for a couple reasons. One is, again, the person doesn't want to burden people. The person doesn't feel worthy. Whatever it may be, don't just ask once. And please give multiple options. So they don't want you to cook for them. Okay, how about could you come over and do their laundry? Nope, they don't want people in the house. They're very private. Okay, could you grocery shop for people and drop it off at the front door? Possibly. And if they say no, no, no to all of that, we do want to respect that, but then send a card or send a text or whatever it may be. Um, drop a gift off at the front door. Just something so there is a connection and that people are thinking of them. Mm -hmm. I, I think back to when I was in the hospital and as the patient, I was so scared 
And I remember my mom just standing at the foot of the bed and she was wringing her hands, poor thing. And mm -hmm. she didn't know what mm -hmm. to do. And I felt like I had to manage her through that. And I didn't know what to tell her. And I remember getting angry. And of course, I was a teenager too. So right. later on, all that emotion. And it was your ones, MO. Mm -hmm. Right? So it was, it was just this really crazy dynamic. Someone who wanted to help but didn't know how. Me feeling like I needed to manage that and care for her as she was trying to care for me. I'm so glad you brought that up because sometimes people will say one of the reasons they don't want people bringing food over or they don't want because they don't want to have to manage the thank you notes. They don't want to have to do this. Here's another beautiful tip for those of you out there that want to do something kind. Put it in dishes that they don't have to return. This is going to sound really simple and practical, but I'm telling you it simple goes... Simple and practical is what people want. Right, right. But it goes a long way. And so they don't have to return the dishes and then let them know you do not want to thank you note. That them thanking you verbally is enough, mm -hmm. but that they do not have to be spending their energy and their... People get so anxious over these thank you notes that they have to be, you know, on top of it and they don't want to seem ungrateful. So another thing I do, I bring over food or I may not bring over food. I may order food and have it delivered to a house. There's so many services that can do that now. If they have little kids, hey, do you guys want pizza? Yep. Okay. Have it delivered. Then they never have to see me. And sometimes, again, that's still present. I'm still connected with them. But... They may not have the energy to talk. Also, if you bring over a meal, you are not eating it with them. Okay? And that's a really important thing. And again, it sounds simple. Why do you say that? Well, I've heard many stories where they've brought the meal over and they've brought enough for everybody. And they've pulled up a chair and they've sat and eaten with people. So now the person who's ill becomes the host or the hostess. Ah. And it's very sense. Very awkward. Um, but don't expect that if you're bringing the meal over that you're going to be eating there and you really only should be there for five or 10 minutes max to say hello and in whatever that may be. But really, again, it's consistent. The people that I work with who have felt, I'll just say what I resounding, what I hear, and I think I'm hearing it from you as well, Jeffrey, is that they need, they need to be able to count on people and they don't necessarily know what they need. Um, and, you know, in, in a no early on in a diagnosis may turn into a yes later on because they've figured out what works and they figured out what doesn't. So we don't want to just, you know, everybody comes swarming in in the beginning. It's just like when there's a death. Everybody comes swarming in for those first three weeks. You know when people really need you is the three months after, the four months after, the the year after the two years after all those that's when people really need you and so also maybe you're that friend that sends a card i heard you were diagnosed with whatever or i you know i heard you not feeling well i know a lot of people probably are involved right now i'm gonna be contacting you in a month we'll talk then about what you need if i'm wrong and you don't have a lot of people send me a text and let me know that. But I want you to know I am thinking of you and I'm going to contact you in a month. So much of this is about communication and setting expectations and then resetting expectations as things change. Exactly. Right? I mean, as, as illness changes too, what I need in week two may be very different from what I need in month 
20. Well, and you know that firsthand, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, you know that firsthand. Right. And as, as time goes on in diagnosis and you get to learn about your disease and how it's going to impact you, you will maybe be a little more empowered to speak what you do need. You know, so many people are so worried about saying the wrong things or doing the wrong things that they it stymies them. And I will say probably... So it stymies them from doing anything. Exactly. And probably the worst thing to say is nothing. And the worst thing to do is nothing. Because people feel, again, isolated. So I think, you know, and it is okay to say to somebody when you walk into a room and they're not feeling well, it's okay to say to them, I don't even know what to say. Mm-hmm. It kind of breaks the ice. It does. But, right? but I am here and I love you and I care about you and you give them a hug. And that's your presence. That is your presence for them. They don't, they didn't anticipate getting sick. You didn't anticipate them getting sick. So you can, you can also figure it out together. Great advice. Well, I want to thank you because how wonderful. And I, I have heard your story somewhat about when you were diagnosed, but I actually was very touched by thinking about um, a 15 year old in a hospital on a holiday, which I worked in hospitals I for a long time. and. They're lonely how, places during the holidays. They are so lonely. They're so lonely. But they don't have to be. And hopefully some of what we shared today can make them a little less lonely. So be present. Be present. And as we say, be well. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you for listening to this CWK podcast. It's our hope that these words bring comfort, healing, and insight to your life, wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing. Please subscribe and share this episode. You can also follow and like Conversations with Kelly on Facebook. One quick note. We've done our best to share some ideas, tips, and techniques to help guide you. This podcast's content is not intended to be a substitute for or constitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to seek professional medical advice if needed. Thank you.